Few things are as difficult as forgiveness. It's hard not to hold some past grievance against somebody. Somebody did something to you and you hold it against them. And sometimes, especially with some of those petty things, sometimes you can't even remember what they did. Y'all don't have to say amen, but you know I'm talking the truth. Sometimes you forgot what they've done, but you still hold it against them because they, they hurt you sometime in the past. And it's especially hard when, when somebody has seriously harmed you. Maybe there's even been a crime committed against you. That's even particularly hard when you've been hurt physically or emotionally. I mean, that, that, that raises the stakes to a whole other level when we're talking about forgiveness here. And then don't forget, because I'm talking about like you need to forgive somebody else, but don't forget you all, including me, we are all in need of forgiveness. And a lot of us continue to be haunted by things we've done or that we've said against other people. And we need forgiveness. So this forgiveness is a two-way street. It's both us giving forgiveness, but it's also us receiving forgiveness. And that's why this is like I've tried to lay it out for you that this is not a simple topic. There are no pat answers. And it's also why I'm going to take the time to go through what Jesus says in Matthew 18. Few people understand forgiveness like Jesus understands forgiveness. Think about this. He had to give his own life to provide forgiveness for me and you. You see, he, he didn't, there was no small price for his forgiveness. He had to give his own, he shed his blood. He died for you to have forgiveness. Amen. So I think he understands something about it. And also understand this, that he died for people who sinned against him, who lied about him, and who did everything in their power to put him on a cross. Now, I understand and I believe that Jesus willingly went to the cross. Don't miss that. But do understand that those people schemed and connived and figured out how can we get him on the cross? How can we bury him? That's what they were doing. Yet he did that. In fact, even on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So I tell you all that to say he understands forgiveness. In fact, forgiveness as a concept is what I'll call the linchpin of Christianity. You take forgiveness away. If there is no forgiveness, there is no hope. I have no hope. You have no hope. Forgiveness is required because I needed somebody to stand in my place. And because someone stood in my place, I have forgiveness. I have full and free forgiveness that takes away the shame, that takes away the pain, that takes away the judgment because of what Jesus did on the cross. I have that. That's why Paul writes boldly in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation. No condemnation. He says there is therefore now no condemnation. It's not something we have to wait for or we got to figure it out, wait till the jury comes back. No, he says it's done, it's taken care of. There is no condemnation to them which are in Christ who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. So how can we be forgiven? How can I be more forgiving of others around me? How can we do that? Well, like I told you, I can't tell you all the answers in one sermon. One, I don't know them all. I have to just tell you what Jesus says. But two, y'all don't have the patience to listen to five or six hours of me talking. I don't think my throat would give out. But I'm just going to start where Jesus starts, at the foundation. The first five verses of Matthew chapter 18 is where we're going to begin. 
So I hope you have a copy of God's Word. You can open that up. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. We're just going to look our, or talk our way through the first five verses of Jesus' uh, teaching here. Here's what it begins with in verse 1. He says, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, I understand we're kind of dropping into a conversation as it's begun. You ever done that before? People talking and then you drop in, you don't know what happened before. So you got to kind of get caught up. So that's what we're going to do. Catch you up real quick on what's going on. Um, the disciples are asking the question, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That is done in context of the day of the, of the chapter prior to that. In fact, in chapter 17, we see Jesus has taken, it's Peter, James, and John, three of his disciples, he takes them up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Do y'all know about the Mount of Transfiguration? In short, it's a lot to tell you about it, but in short, it's where Jesus shows himself to a few people as to who he really is. He shows himself in all of his glory. He's transfigured from just an ordinary man on this earth to really transform into the, 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 the Son of God. We see him as he really is. And Peter, James, and John, I mean, they're amazed by this. And they're, they're, they get to see this wonderful experience. Now, did I tell you how many people he took with him? Three. How many didn't go with him? Well, if y'all do the math, he has, what, 12 disciples, something like that. He only went three, so there's a handful that didn't get to go. That's my point. You see, see what I'm saying? There's some that didn't get to go. And the rest of them, if you go down in, in the rest of chapter 17, they're left to fend for themselves. They're having to deal with this guy, this man who has a son who's got a demon, uh, demon possession, and they couldn't do anything about it. In fact, they're fighting with it. In fact, I think it's in verse, um, wrote down, verse 16. Um, it says they, that, that this, this man is talking to Jesus later on. He says, I brought my son to your disciples and they could not cure him. So, so, the, so you got Peter, James, and John and Jesus up on the Mount of Transfiguration having this awesome experience. And then you've got the rest of the disciples down here failing can't get nothing done they just can't accomplish anything now now add to that in verse 24 there's a there's somebody that comes um comes to to the disciples and they're asking something about jesus and saying does your master pay tribute do you does he pay taxes now who do they ask if you go to verse 24 chapter 17 they ask peter so peter somehow has been singled out now as the the leader of the pack Somehow everybody's looking at Peter and saying, what, what's going on? And what's happening to the other guys? They're sitting there saying, what are we, chopped liver? What are we doing over here? We're supposed to be disciples too. And, and, and they're, they're asking this question in verse 18, or rather chapter 18, verse 1, who is the greatest in the kingdom of, of heaven? I think some of this is rooted in jealousy. They're jealous of each other. They say, well, maybe Peter's his favorite. Maybe James is his favorite. I thought I was his favorite. Oh, John, he's the one that Jesus loves, so maybe he's his favorite. They're sitting there trying to figure out who's on top. Now, now some of this, I think, is about who's on top, who's the leader of the pack, which is how you might read who is the greatest. But it's less about who's the greatest, as we would think in today. It's more about who gets what they deserve. It's, I thought I brought this or that or the other thing, I want what I deserve. I want the recognition I deserve. So do you understand? It's not just about who's number one, two, three, four. It's as much about, I thought I was the guy who was the, the money guy, Judas. 
I thought I was the guy who understood, you know, these kinds of ideas. So I want to go. Why don't people come to me for those things? I want to get what's what's mine. And they're focused on merit. They're focused on what they deserve. They're focused on the respect that they think they deserve, the position they think they deserve, the justice they thought was deserved in the, in the situation. And Jesus interprets this, and I think, I would say rightly, because he's Jesus and he does all things good, right? So he interprets this as not just a matter of who's on top, but this includes getting and receiving forgiveness. I say that because that's where he goes with this whole thing. If you'll see this, not necessarily in the first five verses, but as he goes beyond that, he starts talking about forgiveness. So genuinely, I believe Jesus has in mind that this is as much about who's going to get the forgiveness they deserve, who's going to be able to give the forgiveness they deserve. How's this going to happen? But look at what Jesus's answer is in verse two. So remember, they're asking who's the greatest. They're apparently standing around kind of teach. He's in a teaching setting. And then in verse two, he calls a little, called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. So what Jesus is doing, there's probably a bunch of people around, as often is the case when he's teaching. And what he does, he says, let me see this little child here. And he pulls this, this child forward and he says he sets him in the midst and he's about to use this child as an illustration. That's what he's doing here. He's trying to use it as an illustration. He points to it and says, this is, the, this is what I'm talking about. So here's what he does. Now, remember, don't forget, because it almost seems like Jesus is changing the subject because they say, who's the greatest? What does Jesus say after he pulls that little child aside? Verse three, verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. He says, if you're going to actually get the blessings that come from God, the kingdom of heaven, certainly means go to heaven when you die. That's part of it. But it really means to be under the blessing of God, to, to have the blessings of God, to get what you think, we might put it in human terms, to get what we deserve. Now, let's be clear here. If we get what we deserve in the kingdom of heaven, we're all going to hell. So we, under, we should understand that. However, what Jesus is at least being generous enough to acknowledge is you want what you want, and if you want what, you're going to get what you want, in, in human terms, you're going to have to go into the kingdom of heaven. He says here, if you're going to get that, you're going to have to be converted to be a little child. He says, you must be converted and become as little children. You shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Let me make this, this clear to you. Jesus is saying to you, he's saying this to the disciples, but I think you should take this personally. You do not deserve anything. You've got to start there. You deserve nothing. The disciples' question, who's going to be the greatest, assumes they deserve something. And Jesus says, no, y'all got it wrong. You deserve nothing. You deserve nothing at all. But instead, if you want to be forgiven, you want to have a position, you want to be able to forgive other people, you want that forgiveness, and that's where he's about to take this, this, uh, this lesson, where you want to take, you want that forgiveness, you're going to have to be converted that word means what it sounds like it means. You need to be changed. You need to be transformed. You need to be someone who is preoccupied with getting yours and getting what you deserve. And you need to be changed into something else, which is a little child here. He says this little child, he's bringing this little child forward who, who has in that society 
I know we kind of hold children up in a different way in our modern culture, but in that society, children would have had no rank, no, 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 no level. Nobody would have seen, oh, that's an important person. No, that's a kid. You could ignore them. That's, that's his point. That's why he's bringing them forward. He said, you've got to get to the place where you're changed to, to no longer be preoccupied with what you're owed and have a new reality that says, I have no position. That's what a child's position is. There's no position. He has no position at all. There is complete and total dependence. Think about this. Y'all think about this. It's been, it's been, a, been a year or two for some of y'all. But remember when you were children? Do y'all remember this? <laughs> like I said, it might, might have been last year, two or three years ago. I understand. You may have to go back a, a year or two. But, but you remember this? Who did you, how did you do what you, need, you needed to do? You had to have mom and daddy provide for you in some way. Now, I'm not saying you had perfect parents by any means. But even the worst of parents were necessary. So you had a roof over your head. So they bring some food on the table and then maybe you, you see where I'm going. You had, you had to have somebody and it may not have been parents. It might've been aunts, uncles. It might've been kind strangers, but you needed somebody else to provide for you. Did you not? And what he's saying here is you've got to get to the place where you're changed to say, I have no position and I am in complete dependence on somebody else. This is what you've got to be transformed to. So let's make sure we understand this. We're, we're talking about forgiveness, right? Are y'all with me on that? We're forgiving. We're talking about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not something that is owed to you, nor is anybody in your circle deserving of your forgiveness. That is not the place to start. You cannot start there. You cannot start there because you, and I'm done, forget everybody else for a minute. Let's just be personal to you. You have no standing at all apart from Jesus Christ. If he did not come, if he did not die for you, you don't have Jesus on your side. The least of your concerns is forgiveness, forgiving anybody else or being forgiven yourself because you've got eternal damnation to look forward to. That's all you've got. So you can sit there and we can have a nice, you know, ponderous discussion about should I forgive them? And has the conditions been met? And he's saying, you got the wrong discussion, sir. You're thinking about the wrong thing, ma'am. You've got to understand that if you don't have Jesus, if you've not been transformed, his forget forgiveness of any kind is the least of your, of your concern. But when you come to Jesus because of what he's provided, y'all know what Jesus did for you? Amen. He died on a cross. Amen. Took all of the sins of yours, not ours only, but the sins of the whole world, Amen. John 2, 2 says. He's taken them on himself and he's paid for them. So when you come to him, you come to him, he will give you forgiveness. Thank the Lord he gives us forgiveness. Amen. But when you come to him, he transforms you into a little child who has no position and is completely dependent on him. Okay, that's where we are. You, you, you want forgiveness? You want to forgive? Well, then you've got to start where Jesus starts. He's foundationally, you have to be converted into one of, I'm going to say it this way, you've got to be one of Jesus' little ones. You have to be one of his little ones. If you're not one of his little ones, forgiveness is not even on the, on the menu. It's not an option for you to give or to receive. It's not there. But now... 
He goes on and he says in verse 4, Whoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now he gets back to kind of answering their question. They say, who's going to get theirs? Who's going to get what they deserve? Who's going to get it? And he says, well, the only way you're going to get it is you're going to actually have to humble yourself like this little child. So if you want forgiveness, let me just say it to you plainly and bluntly. If you want forgiveness, if you want to be able to forgive, you've got to, first of all, be one of Jesus's little ones. You've got to come to him and be converted, be transformed and changed. But you also have to humble yourself. Status, help, hope, healing, only comes to those, as he says there, that are humble in verse 4. This is, this is we're all clear on this, that Jesus' life is an upside down and backwards life. Do you know who wins in the world? Do you know who wins in the world? It's the arrogant. It's the belligerent. It's the forceful. It's the powerful. It's the one who ain't going to take no gun from nobody. That's the one who wins. That's the one who wins. You can't push me over. That's the one who wins in the world. But in the Jesus world, you know who wins? The humble. Amen. The humble. Now, I can tell you right now, that I, 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 it's right. So thank you. Amen is right. That's right. But let me tell you, deep in my heart, that feels wrong. Do you know why? Because the Jesus world is upside down and backwards from the human world. We are sinners from the ground up. What the humble do is they wait on the Lord to provide. He says, you've got to be humble. You've got to humble yourself as a little child. You think about a little child, especially a very little, an infant, particularly a very infant child who doesn't have the abilities to go and do things. I know that once we get up 10, 12, 14 years old, we can kind of start doing some stuff. But those little children, they, they can't do anything. They have to, they have to wait. They have to, they have to wait on somebody to provide for them. And that's what the one who is going to be forgiven, the one who's going to give forgiveness is doing is he's going to be humble as a little child. He's going to get what he needs. What the Christian needs to do is not seek revenge or grab what's ours. That's what I want to do, don't you? Somebody does me wrong, get a hold of them. Take care of business. I might do it physically, some violent thing, or legally, try to get lawyers involved, or whatever, whatever powerful move that I might have available to me, I'm going to do that. That's what I want to do. I want to get revenge. But this is the way Peter writes about it in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Listen to what he says. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. So you hear that humility there? You need to humble yourself. Why? So that he will exalt you in due time. Now I'm going to read a verse that's very familiar to you, but know that this follows that verse. He says, listen, y'all hear what he says? Humble yourself and God will lift you up when it's time. First of all, therefore, you can put the word therefore, the Bible doesn't have it in there. I'm adding it to, to try to make the connection for you. Therefore, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You can say, well, Matthew, you don't understand how bad they hurt me. You don't understand that that was a criminal act. You don't understand how much they've destroyed. You don't understand. And I will say, amen, I don't understand. 
It hurts to even hear about it. I don't like it. But if I'm hearing what, I'm, what the Bible's telling me is that those who will get the forgiveness, who will give the forgiveness that is required, are those who are humble, who will say, I'm throwing this on Jesus. I'm going to let him take care of this. I'm going to humble myself and say, it's not what I want to do, but it's what he said to do. He's the one that's the powerful one. And I'm going to let him take care of it. We're going to humbly wait on the Father to exalt us and depend on him to provide what's needed. And then what I want you to notice, too, that he does in verse 5. He says, of course, we're talking about being humble in verse 4. But then he says, and whoso shall receive one such little child in my name, receive it in me. Now he's starting to get to this idea of forgiveness. He's starting to touch on it a little bit. He says there that if somebody, simply what he says, if you go back and look at the verse, you can see this. Follow along as I'm saying this. He says, if you'll take and receive one of these little ones, one of my little ones, if you receive them, it's like receiving me. Jesus is saying this. That's what he says. Plainly, that's what he says. But when he says you receive little ones, the idea of receive them is the idea of accepting them, embracing them, admitting them in, welcoming them in, is to say, that's one of those little ones. I'm going, to, I'm going to love them. I'm going to embrace them. I'm going to bring them close to me. You can't do that if you're holding something against them. You understand that? If me and you got a problem with each other, I'm going to have a real hard time coming over and Unless I'm a fake hypocrite, some of us can do that real good. I'm going to have a real hard time coming over and hugging on you, shaking your hand, being nice to you. I'm just going to have a hard time with that. Some of y'all can do a better job than this. I have a hard time. I, I, whatever's in my heart tends to show up on my face. That's just the way I am. But some of y'all can be hypocrites, and I guess better. more power to you. More power to you. But isn't that, isn't that how it is? Isn't that how it is, though, that you have a hard time welcoming receiving, accepting somebody until and unless you're able to forgive them. So he's saying here that my bias as a one who is a, let's make sure you see there, he connects this to receiving the little one to receiving Jesus. Do you understand that? You get that connection? So if I'm saying I'm receiving Jesus, you know what else follows that? I don't think I'm stretching this at all. If I accept Jesus, if he is my Savior, if I'm receiving him, I'm embracing him, I am welcoming him in, you know who else I'm welcoming in? All his little ones, including those who did me wrong, including those that hurt me, including those that I have hurt. You see, it works both ways. So the bias that I'm going to have is to seek how I can forgive. There's a verse that's been working on me the last two weeks as I've been putting some of these thoughts together is in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, where Paul writes, he says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. But it doesn't stop there. How are we to forgive? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. This is what he's getting at. It's, it's forgiveness in spite of what's deserved. So what, you see what Jesus does quickly is he starts off by saying, you don't deserve anything. The only way to get in, the only way you're going to get anything that you want, much less deserve, is to be like a little child and be humble 
And if you do that, what's going to flow from that is you're going to then turn around and forgive in spite of what those people around you deserve. You're going to see them as little ones that Jesus died for, that they are under his care. You're going to turn from how do I get to what I deserve, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, as the disciples put it. You're going to turn from that and turn to I'm now a little one under the care of Jesus. I'm fully changed, fully transformed, so I am now fully dependent on him. And I'm going to seek in every way I can to seek to show the love of Christ to everybody I can around me. I hope you see that connection. But that's where it starts, that foundation. I can't even talk about forgiving anybody. I can't even talk about receiving forgiveness until and unless I recognize I'm in need of forgiveness from the one, one God of the universe and I have to come to him as a little child. And the minute that I accept that and embrace that, he's saying, well, you're going to have to wait on me because I'm the one that's in charge. And he's also saying, you're going to have to forgive some other people. You're going to have to seek to love them even though they don't deserve your love. Now I'm concluding, and I want to make sure I get this point across to you. None of what I just said should be taken to say that when somebody does you wrong, you just have to say, oh, well, they did me wrong. Forget about it. No, Jesus deals with some of that stuff. We're going to get to that. So don't, don't take that from my message this morning at all. Some of y'all are probably hearing that, and I don't want you to hear that. That's not what I said. It's not what Jesus says. Nor does it say that we need to ignore the damage that sin has done to us or that other people's sin is accomplishing in our lives. That's not what I'm saying at all. Jesus talks about that as well. We'll get to that. And it's definitely not saying if there's a habitual offender, someone who continuously damages and hurts and continuously, as they say, because we think about the church as, as, as God's sheep that bites the sheep. If we're, we're thinking about that, we don't, want to do, we don't want to put up with that. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not what we're dealing with. Jesus deals with that. But what it does say, and I want you to hear this. Don't, don't, don't inject all those other things in here. Do you, do you understand that? Don't pull that in here. We're not putting up with sin. We're not, we're not ignoring wrong. But what it does mean is that for any and every wrong that's ever been done against me, that I have to start from the foundation of forgiveness to start to deal with it. You know what that foundation really is at the base? Who am I in Christ and what has Christ done for me? If I don't start there, if I start with all the other stuff as good and right and proper and as painful and all the things, as real as it all is, if I start at those other things, I miss the point. I have to start at the foundation. Who am I in Christ and what has Christ done for me? If I will start there, then I have something to build. Foundation, you know that? If I just built you a house and I built you a foundation, would you be happy with it? No, you need more than that. We want to put something on top of it. But we're going to start with this foundation. Because we don't have that, we've got nothing to work with. We've got to start here. We've got to start here. These five verses, as I've said, don't give you the full answer for a very difficult topic. But it's where Jesus starts the conversation, so let's start there. You don't have any reason to go any further. And I can guarantee you, a lot of y'all have something that you're working on, something, that you're, something you're struggling with, some forgiveness that you need to deal with, but there's no reason to go any further. No reason to listen to this any further, to deal with this any further, unless you become one of his little ones. Can I put it to you plain? You must be born again.
You have to be saved. You have to put your faith in Jesus. When that happens, then we got a lot to talk about. Jesus gives us a lot of tools, a lot of equipment. We have the Holy Spirit working in us. We've got lots going on then. You have to be transformed from a sinful person. That You have to be transformed into a person that is filled with his grace and love. That's what's got to happen. So you've got to start there. There's no reason to go any further if you're going to try to do this on your own. If you're going to say, well, I'm saved, brother. I'm glad to go to heaven, but don't you, under, don't you worry about it. I'm going to take care of this. I've got the answers for this. If you think you can handle this on your own, I can tell you that Jesus' words are not going to be any, any help to you because forgiveness is only ever given or received. True forgiveness is only ever given or received at the hand of God himself. Amen. That's where it starts. Amen. You can't do this right, much less well. You can't do it. And finally, there's no reason to go any further in this conversation unless you have what I'm going to call a bias to forgive. You're looking for ways to forgive, not ways not to forgive. Because you know that you have been forgiven of so much, you're going to seek ways through the power and the strength and the grace of God to seek ways to forgive others. But if you're not willing to do that, Again, Jesus is not going to help you because he's, that's what he is saying is you have to have that bias. So I'm going to offer this invitation. In fact, I'm going to invite you to stand, first of all. Here's my invitation to you. Will you come, if you're not a Christian, and be saved? Will you come and accept Jesus' forgiveness for your sin? Will you come? If you are struggling with forgiveness, either receiving or giving it, will you come and give that situation over to God and submit to him and say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but I'll listen to you in whatever you tell me. And if none of that resonates, the last thing I'm going to ask you is, will you come and ask God just to do a work in your heart? change you. I'm going to invite you to come. Lord, please move among your people. Give them a heart to forgive. Help them to hear and listen to your words and the, all of Scripture, not just these five verses, but all of Scripture, about what that looks like and how that, that means. But, but Lord, please convict us of our un, un inability to do it ourselves, but the willingness that you have to help those who will humble themselves. I pray that you'll convict us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.